You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey everyone, welcome back to Across the Romaverse. It's Steve here alongside Sean for episode 39. You know, we're recording the day after Roma Bologna. Finally, we get to record after a Roma League win. It's been a been quite a while since we've been able to say that between the the three dropped results in a row and the international break. So Sean, how are you doing on this Monday? Yeah, I'm good. I'm, I'm happy that we're we're back on a Monday for, for this week. Uh, you know, normally if Roma don't win, we just don't record. So yeah, <laughs> we're, it's a good sign that we're back when you're yeah, it's it's sometimes it's tough to record after those losses, especially when those same, you know, ugly themes pop their heads up again and again and you kind of sound yeah. repetitive. Um I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> you know, thank God for that Pelota interview last week because we might have been in the same <laughs> position. But Roma did enter this match, as we mentioned, in pretty poor form in the league. Three dropped results in a row. They've dropped points in five out of seven heading into this match. Just those couple wins early on in in March were the only positive you know real positive results in the the last six weeks or so uh Roma entered seventh in the table um you know falling behind all of their direct competition in recent weeks and heading into this match Roma knew that most of their uh direct competition for that fourth spot had already won everybody besides Atalanta had already played had already won uh so Roma just needed to win to keep pace and then it would turn out that Atalanta would also pull out a a late victory against a pesky Fiorentina side later in the day. So, you know, status quo on the table. So it's a good thing Roma won to keep their very faint top four hopes alive. Um, you know, it, we did mention the poor league form, but Roma has been much better in the Europa League where they did win Thursday in fairly dramatic fashion against Ajax uh, to carry some momentum into this match. But Roma was still carrying a lot of injuries. Um, Brian Cristante was suspended. Chris Smalling still out injured. Um, Max Kambula still out injured. Um, yeah, Zaniolo has been out all year. (laughs) If we want to throw his name into the ring, uh, El Sharari still uh, out injured for the last couple of matches. And, uh, you know, then you had Mkhitaryan, a little bit of good news returned from injury, but, you know, just more of a cameo appearance to get his legs back a bit. Uh, Jordan Vertu started on the bench after, you know, getting his first start in a while on Thursday. So Roma rested many of their likely starters for the Ajax second leg. And we'll get into that later on. But, um, you know, a one nothing victory for Roma in the end with many of their reserve-type players. Brian Reynolds got his first start uh, for Roma at right back. Kind of a surprise to me after Rick Karsdorp was suspended Thursday. I thought Rick Karsdorp would start. Sean, did that surprise you a little bit to see Reynolds get the start? Is Karsdorp suspended for, for Ajax? Last, last Thursday, he was suspended. 
So he didn't play uh, the first leg. So I was a little, I was a little surprised that they sat him again oh. after he didn't play. Oh, okay. Um, no, it didn't surprise me. I expected Reynolds to be honest with you. I, mm. I fully expected uh, Reynolds and I actually expected Calafiori, but um, he went with Perez. So his, his, his mind, well, Fonseca, I mean, his mind is clearly firmly set on uh, there's a team for Europe and a team for Italy. Yeah, I wasn't surprised by Calafiori just knowing that Perez is suspended on Thursday for the second leg. Um, yeah. I figured he would play one way or another. And I thought, you know, to push Calafiori in 70 minutes and then two starts in a row might be a bit much for a kid who hasn't played much this year. I thought that was the rationale there. Yeah. Maybe. I mean, evidently you're right in the end, but I, I felt like California has paid so little that I, I saw it from the other side that maybe he, he needed that rhythm yeah. to, to actually be alive for Thursday. But in the end, you're right. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that was some of the arguments I saw on Twitter too, of, you know, people saying that California should have started. Uh, I guess Fonseca playing a little bit on the safer side, considering the the minutes he's, he might have to accumulate, I guess, in the next couple of weeks, depending on Spinazzola's injury. Um so just to we'll get we'll touch a bit on the Bologna match, some of the key talking points, and then we will look ahead to to Thursday because that is uh, what you know players are calling the biggest match of the season right now. So um, you know Myral got the goal, a bit of a broken play. The defender Danilo kind of headed it backwards off when he went up for the ball, and Myral ran onto it and and beat Lucas Skorupski one on one. It was a nice goal from Myral. He got off the Schneid in uh, Serie A where he's been kind of struggling of late. Um, What'd you think? What'd you make of the goal, Sean? I thought it was a pretty, pretty nice play on uh, his part to take advantage. Yeah, I like, I like it. Full credit to Manuel. He, he looks alive. You know, he gracefully accepts the flick on from Danilo and uh, really like leaves Skorupski horizontal, like, parallel to the ground. We've got a nice freeze frame of that shot in our highlights coverage of it. Um, uh, for once, a, a former Roma keeper doesn't actually put on a super yeah. keeper performance against us. And that's thanks to Mad Rao, who's, you know, he's a real poacher on goals. So full credit to him there. Yeah, and, you know, Skorupski, I watched a few of their matches this year when they were playing teams not named Roma when I happened to just, uh, you know, be watching on a Saturday or Sunday. And he's had some really good performances this year, Skorupski. So yep. Roma yeah. lucky to beat him. And uh, Myro made a nice little play to kind of chip it past him and then slide it home. So full credit to Myro. And speaking of Myro, Sean, you know, he, he's a hot topic of late, especially because he's cooled off in the league. He's been hot in the Europa League. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we actually, Jimmy wrote a piece. I didn't get to read it yet. It was posted recently. Uh, should Roma exercise his option this summer or maybe wait for that second year option that kicks in next summer? Yeah. Um, when we look at his numbers, he's played 36 games overall, 14 goals, seven assists. But when you break it down more, in Serie A's 24 matches, seven goals, two assists, and the Europa League is 11 matches, seven goals, four assists, and then uh, one, one Coppa Italia match with an assist. So what do you make of the discrepancy between his Serie A and his Europa League performances? And, and are you buying Myral now, or are you kind of more of a wait and see at this point? Uh, I, I read Jimmy's piece. It just came out this evening. Well, this evening, my time, uh, afternoon over there on the East Coast. And I, I would wait in all cases. I think it it's not really dependent on Meral. He's not someone who has his fate in his own hands. He can't he can't perform in any way that will convince someone to to sign him uh, early this summer. It's really for fact. It's outside of his hands. To answer your first question, I think it comes down to the strength of the opposition. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in Europa League, we've he's, we face teams that aren't necessarily antagonistic and don't really you know kick and bite at you in defence and and get up close to you and try and jam you up. Whereas uh, Meral in the league, in, 
in the in a little time that he's had against big opposition because he hasn't had that much in his defense but in a little time he has had against like the Juve's and, and small like little, like real real bridge cameos against Napoli and top position like that uh he's just he's disappeared he's ineffective he, he doesn't have that mm. antagonism about him where he uh, sorry in Italian we'd say cattiveria where you know he just you know, he doesn't have that like I'll I'll kill your grandmother for a goal kind of thing he, he's a he's a great poacher um where, where he can ghost in and out of, of play and, and really come up with the final touch he's great great goal scorer you know there's no question there but he when you come up against top players world-class players who find a way to really make your life difficult and stick by you he doesn't have that sort of like i'll beat you one-on-one kind of thing by any means necessary and and that's really um something that he's got to either find in his locker in the next 12 months or or not, and he can have a, a very good career elsewhere. But I, I, I don't. I think that's really what's missing in terms of convincing Roma that uh, he's worth the gamble as a starting striker, outright first team choice. Yeah, I have to agree. Right now, he's not a guy I would buy to rely on as the first team striker. I don't think he's shown enough to to justify that. You know, if Roma had the money to buy him as a, the second option, and they had a bigger name coming in to replace Jeco, I could see it. But at the same time, I think for an extra five million, I think is the the, the, the difference between the first year, second year options. I think Roma waits, uh, no need to to bite so soon when you have him next year anyway on loan, um, yeah. and that solves probably your reserve striker position most likely. Because I, I mean, you know, the Mercato will play itself out, especially once the coaching uh, situation is figured out. But I, I think you know, striker has to be near the top, if not the top of Roma's wish list. Uh, mm-hmm. and priority list at this point so I, yeah I think it's more of a wait and see with him it's good to see him get off the the schneid so to speak because Roma will need goals from him down the stretch um, either in Europe or in Serie A and we'll get into yeah. you know who probably plays on Thursday later on when we look ahead to the Ajax match but it's, it's always good to have him scoring whether he starts or is coming off the bench they need that confidence for for him strikers need confidence yeah. and and he does score you know it seems mm-hmm ridiculous for us to be having this conversation about whether he's worth 50 million when you think about it uh i read a, an article that put it in a completely different context where they said the only striker that scored more goals in the debut season than him uh is actually it's threefold it's marco del vecchio vincenzo motella and gabriele battistuta now where are roma going to go if you looked at purely in terms of a goal scoring context where are roma going to go and spend 50 million elsewhere and find a better goal return yeah it's not going to happen but I've I've had a change of of heart on Meral in terms of is he going to get signed or not? It's it's, it's not really his goal scoring that is going to, is going to be judged by because to be honest with you, um, Roma are sitting at seventh in the table. Um, you know, in the wider context of the team, it's inevitable that Roma's performance is going to go up next season, no matter what. It's, it's, mm-hmm. I don't. That'd be drastic for Roma to perform worse than they have this season. Um, they're gonna they're gonna go up and they're gonna score more goals. And Mirage is gonna get more goals as well. But it's the, it's the quality of opposition that he's gonna score against that's the question mark. And that, that's the really the only thing that is gonna decide his future. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And you know, I, I'm a big fan of a, a player like Bolotia, who I've mentioned as like a first choice in the Mer- Mer- Mercato. But man, yeah. Dusan Vlaovic is really starting to turn it on. I, I'm, I'm worried that because if he was a target of Roma's, like the rumors are saying, he Roma might get priced out for a player like that. He's come on so so hot of yeah. late. He easily, yeah. Actually, yeah. He might already be too expensive. Yeah. With, with, with Meral, it's really, I, I think he makes sense as a backup, but does he really want to be a backup? It might that, be wrong. Yeah. 
long time in his career. I agree. I think that's the thing with a, a Myral. It's going to be hard to convince him to stick around as a reserve, especially if you bring in yeah. a Vlaovic or a Belotti. I'm just throwing some names out there of like surefire starters. I think it'd be hard to convince a 24 year old. Uh, I think he's about 20. Is he 24? Uh, Myral. Yeah. 24. So to yeah. have him say, Oh, come be our reserve for a team that's not competing for a Scudetto most likely. Uh, yeah. It's hard. You know, if it was maybe Real Madrid, who his parent club is, then, you know, you could probably convince him to be your number two. And, he probably do more willingly, but you know, he could easily go back to Spain and play on one of those, you know, top five or six teams probably, and maybe have a shot to start. So why, you know, be Roma's reserve. I think you make a great point. Um, And speaking of reserves, we've mentioned it was a very reserve related lineup for Roma that got it done. Um, Paulo Fonseca was pleased after the match. His post game quote said, yes, we changed a lot of players. It was important to be able to rest a few of the lads who played in the game against Ajax. It's true that we struggled a bit in the first half because of the pressure they put us under with their one-to-one marking, but I think we found the right balance eventually. And in the second half, it was a completely different game. We created a lot of chances to score more goals. So, you know, I think Fonseca made a great point and he clearly pointed out that they were looking to play the reserves. They need to rest players ahead of Thursday's match after that quick turnaround from this past Thursday. And the match did really change in the second half, Sean. Um, do you think it was a, a result of the goal because Myral score, scored late in the first half? Do you think the Roma changed the tactics more uh, and that helped them out because, you know, we've heard Fonseca come under fire many times for not changing tactics in a tough match. I think it was the goal, but also the personnel. Uh, I think going going out one nil of the game, when you've been under so much pressure and you know you held out, whether by luck or, or you know, because you just you just held out, um, and then you, come, you go out the other end and you, and you still stay alive and you still believe in the result and you get that goal, that has to boost you when you go out onto the pitch in the second half. So that yeah. definitely helped. Um, but it's also the personnel, you know, like they, they, the, the B team made it until about 68, 70 minutes. And then mm-hmm. you saw, you saw like, saw the, the senior players field terrain one by one. And the, 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 the nature of the play changed from then. Like there was this start, started like Vertu started string, stringing passes together with Pastore. Um, yeah, it's just a different match. Like the, the, the seniors saw out the game. So yep. yeah. That was that was it for me. Yeah, I mean the second half, and even before um, those senior players came in, Roma did, did not give up much in the second half at all. We'll talk about the XG in a, a couple minutes, but the second half was a much much more pleasurable game to watch for from a Roma perspective because the first half, especially the first twenty minutes, was a bit nervy. Uh, one thing I noticed, uh, Sean, when I looked at the numbers, was like a more balanced attack. We often talk about how overloaded Roma is on the left side, especially with Spinazzola playing there. Uh, yesterday it was actually thirty six percent down the left. 36% down the right and the rest down the middle. So, you know, with Spinozola not playing, does this show sort of an over-reliance on him when he is fit and he is playing? Because oftentimes we see, you know, that push down the left, pushing closer to like almost half of Roma's numbers sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. It, it shows there's a over-reliance on Spinozola to show character and assume responsibility for, for moving the ball. Um, it also ties into what you're going to bring up next i'm going to i'm going to steal your wind a little bit mm-hmm. because it's you 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 brought it up for the before the air and i didn't notice it until you, you told me but roma playing more long balls from the back directly to to the midfield and front line so you know those two things together show that that of that midfield uh whether it be down to vr or pellegrini or or anyone in between um diwara as well i believe played yesterday uh there's there's no one that's actually Either like either taking responsibility or convince the team that they're the man to move the ball up front. Um, yeah, and 
the, the long ball numbers were, were crazy when I looked at, at it because a lot of the time, you know, you notice Rumble will try to play from the back out to a lot of the time, Spina Solo, sometimes the car's door, uh, sometimes through the middle, but a lot down that left side, like we mentioned. And yesterday, Mirante and Gola had 24 long balls, seven of them accurate. Federico Fazio, eight long balls, three accurate. Mancini, eight, three accurate. Ibanez, 13 and seven accurate long balls. So there was a lot of balls coming out from the back over the top, bypassing the wings, bypassing the midfield. And the long ball over the top from Ibanez it, it did result in the goal. But um, I definitely think that also speaks to the reliance on Spinozolo. When him and Karsdorp weren't there, you know, rather than play it on the ground to Perez and and Reynolds, Roma chose to just go long and hope Mayoral could get it or one of the other wingers type forward, mm-hmm. you know, players would, would get it. Not so much the wingers, but the attacking midfielders like Carlos Perez and, you know, Pellegrini was up there. Uh, not Pellegrini yesterday, I'm sorry. Um, Pedro was up there yesterday, correct? I, yeah. I made a mistake yeah. there. Yeah, Pedro. So they were looking more to, to just bypass the midfield and just kind of play it long. And it paid off for the goal, but definitely shows a, a change in tactics without Spinazzola. So it just speaks to the importance of Spinazzola, but also uh, I think the fact that Roma has to vary their attack a little bit more when Spinazzola is playing. Mm, yeah, well, yeah. The, I mean, I'm fully agreeing with you there for sure. Yeah. Um, there, there are two other factors that could play into it that I, I couldn't say yes or no. Um, one is that maybe they identified something that was weak about Bologna's back line. Mm-hmm. I, haven't watched, I haven't watched Bologna all season long, so I don't know. But uh, could be that it could be down to Bologna, not, not all Roma, uh, mm-hmm. for this game. And then in the, in the wider mini arc of these matches that we're seeing uh, during this Europa League quarterfinal, we know that Fonseca uh, likes to prepare his teams with like, the next three, four games in mind. So uh, maybe this like dropping deep and playing five at the back and then you know playing the long ball um, is part of the, the, the strategy to get the team used to playing knockout football, like cup, cup football. Mm. Um, you know, like he said earlier, a few weeks ago, that he felt his team clearly wasn't suited towards defending a lead. But guess what? You've got no choice because you're going into the second leg in his high axe. It's just like what you're doing. So maybe in, in order to like preempt that and get his team more more relaxed in those situations, he's sent them out uh, against Bologna. And even in the last game we saw against uh, Sassuolo, which he said he didn't like, and I agree with you, Yeah. Um, set out to, to really play that like more Catanaccio kind of style. Yeah, and I could definitely see that happening on Thursday, which we'll talk about in a bit. Um, but maybe one of the biggest surprises yesterday uh, was the fact that Javier Pastore, he is alive, co- confirmed. Alive. There was photographic evidence, video proof. He stepped on the pitch for the last 10 or so minutes of the match. Um, you know, he played a sort of a false nine role because he did come in for Mayoral and, and rather yeah. than Jekko coming off the bench. So do you see him having a role down the stretch? I hope so. But what can we really say? You know, Javier Pastore, you, you, you can't set your future on him. You no. know, it's, it's, it's touch and go day to day. So, you know, I, really, I generally hope so. Um, I'm guilty of calling him Fortis leader this past week after I wrote my uh, big analogy about how Pilotis time in, at the club was comparable to Christopher Nolan Dunkirk. Um, in, a, in a wartime scenario, I, I called him the, the lead pilot that got shot down at the beginning of the film and was never to be seen again. Well, apparently he is to be seen again because he, he just showed up and played some very beautiful passes yesterday. Uh, the kind that really reminds you that really only Henrik Mkhitaryan is on Javier Pastore's level in this team as far as vision and passing goes. So I, I really hope that we see more Pastore for sure. But how, how could you how could you predict something like that? He could just easily turn up injured tomorrow. 
Yeah, because even in the pre-match press conference, he, um, he meaning Fonseca, was asked about Pastore, and you know he just said, "Oh, he's been training, but you can't worry, you know, about a player who hasn't really played. You can't force him back yeah. too soon." And there he was. Um, and I think if Roma does advance on Thursday, I think the the minutes will be available if he's able to fill. I'm not talking about 90 minute starts, but um, maybe 45 minute start or a 30 minute appearance off the bench, a little more than we saw yesterday. Because if Roma advances and they have uh, next midweek match against Atalanta, then uh, in a couple of weeks they would probably have Manchester United twice. So if you're really focusing on the cup, I think Serie A minutes will be there for Pastore. Uh, if, yep. if he's if he's ready and willing uh, and I'm sure he's willing uh, you know it's more of a matter of the the body holding up but you know 20 30 minutes he could be kind of your uh, x factor kind of guy that you haven't seen in a while like you mentioned his passing ability is there um, mm-hmm. if they can put him in the right spot so it'd be interesting to watch something to keep an eye on that we might be talking about again in a couple of weeks here um, the more you know anticipated return though was Henrik Mkhitaryan and I noticed once he stepped in the field, they put him and Jordan Veretu on the field those last 25 minutes together and how much quicker and more fluid Roma's counterattack looked. Um, They moved the ball so much quicker. uh, And he missed quite a few matches. So, I mean, I guess it's, it's a pretty obvious question, but how much was he missed? In a big way. You can't, you can't overstate it. He, uh, ever since Mickey Tan's been out, Roma's form has gone down. So he's, you know, he's, he's that elite player. You know, he, he makes, he's that, he's that player that, uh, stitches all three departments together and allows you to, to transition basically um, no one does it as well as him so yeah yeah um and then just i wanted to mention because one thing i noticed a trend the last two matches which hasn't really been followed much of the season for roma is that the xg yesterday favored bologna 2.01 to 1.37 um bologna though 90 percent of that two goal xg was created in the first 20 minutes when they really had roma under siege a bit and roma's looked a little bit nervy in the back um, but still a 2.01 goal, you know, XG expected goal compared to 1.37. It's the second straight match, uh, that Roma quote unquote lost the XG, but won the match in which, uh, most matches this season, Roma has been favored by the XG and had pretty mixed results because mostly because of, I would say individual errors in a lot of the matches where they did have the better XG. And then maybe they, they lack some finishing and the opponents, you know, took advantage of some errors. So what do you make of the fact, Sean, is it just coincidence or do you think there's a bigger trend here in the way Roma's playing against Ajax and now Bologna where they've conceded more but won the matches? Like I said, uh, my serious answer is that um, I think that Fonseca is preparing them for cup football. Like, uh, you, you, know, you said it last week that it now makes, uh, the percentage-wise, it, just makes, it makes just as much sense to bank on winning mm-hmm. the Europa League as it does trying to go for a top four place. So I think that's the thinking behind this, that uh, he's really set up the team to to um, try and embrace pressure, the pressure of like defending goal and defending a lead and, and trying to go on the counter-attack and, and, and make the most of your chances when they're at the premium. And uh, that's the strategy. But my, my other answer, which is not so serious, is I think that Paolo Fonseca phoned up Massimiliano Allegri and said, look, please don't get me fired. What would you do? And Allegri's been texting him during the match. And really like giving instructions on how, how to how to snatch wins, smash and grab wins. Yeah. And you mentioned uh, the probabilities, the numbers all point to being, you know, almost as favorable now with uh, the cup football because of the position Roma's put themselves in the seventh place. Uh, the mm-hmm. most updated 538 probabilities that, you know, I, I use to do my pre and post match, you know, match day stuff. Roma now is down to a 4% chance of finishing in the top four. Thanks to everybody winning this week, despite Roma also winning. 
and they're actually up to an 8% chance of winning the Europa League now. So cup football actually has a better chance of happening for Roma as hard as it would be to get through Ajax, another match and United and then probably like an Arsenal or Real type side. So it just shows how, how dire, I guess, the situation has become in Serie A in terms of making up that ground with just uh, now eight matches left. So that's going to be tough for Roma. Uh, yeah. We'll take, yeah, go ahead, Sean. So you have like second to, to six is like all within like a point of each other. Yeah. And then yeah, for some reason, Roma is like languishing like three or four points behind that pack, but still ahead of the rest. Yeah. And it's really frustrating because it, it made me, I watched the table today and it reminded me of your words back in January, February, when, when we said, look, we can really, really get us steal a march from Milan who are in second right now. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, Milan, we've been competing for the title all season long. And now suddenly that they could easily finish up sixth this this campaign. Yeah, we could have we could have taken advantage of that had we you know, kept the pace, but we just had to be that little bit gap off. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it's frustrating. But how, yeah. how do you before we before we take a break? I want to ask you quickly: Does it feel good better to be on the end of this uh, these wins that we don't deserve it, or would you rather be a, like a team that's more deserving and, and still yet somehow come out behind on the scoreline? I mean, I, it's funny because this season, the way it's gone, I'll take wins any way that they can come <laughs> because we had some great performances. We've had some five goal performances. We've, we've looked like world beaters against some of these mid to lower table clubs. And it's really fun to watch. Uh, yesterday, yeah. not really fun to watch. You didn't expect a very fun match considering they were coming off the IX match with IX again looming. I kind yeah. of expected them to try to win by any means necessary, which they did. Um, but you look at some of the better matches they played, even against some of the the better teams in the league, like earlier in the year when they played Juve the first time, they should have beaten Juve, you know, and mm-hmm. they ended up dropping points against Milan. The same thing happened a couple of times against Milan. They've dropped points in matches they could have won. You know, some of the other big matches, they've performed very poorly, but more down to in- individual mistakes. Not that Roma has played awfully in those matches from a team perspective. So it's been a frustrating season in that regard where Roma, even in some of those matches they lost against big teams, had the better XG because they outperformed the opposition. So I guess, you know, results are what matter in the end. And I, the three points feel good at the end of the day. So, so where you're going with this is you, you want us to steal the result against Atlanta Lazio. Yeah, I mean, if they can by any means necessary, especially Lazio, God. <laughs> Atalanta is going to be tough because we already have issues with them, you know. Um, but we had no business giving up three goals to, to Lazio the first time either. So hopefully Roger will be on his, on his game in a few weeks when they play Lazio at the very least. Agreed. And uh, we'll we'll take a quick commercial break now. When we come back, we'll talk about Ajax and some other things. So stick with us. All right, we're back from the break, and we wanted to fill you in on the other results around Rome. Uh, we've been speaking about the men's team, but how about the Primavera? How about the under nineteens? Well, things just keep going from well, not so good to not good at all. Which is uh, Roma Primavera drew against Fiorentina this weekend, one all at home. Uh, Fiorentina actually took the lead. I, I watched the first half of that match, and it was Ndiaye who was a little bit guilty of uh, losing his duel inside the box and getting jumped out jumped for the header. Uh, Fiorentina had it in off the post, take it 1-0, and then Roma come back at the very death with five minutes to go to equalize. But, you know, a draw is just not good enough. It's, it's probably their, their fourth draw in a row now, I believe, and they've officially lost their lead at the top of the table, and now in second behind Sampdoria Primavera. And... Uh, yeah, we'll see. But uh, as we know, it's it's a playoff format in the uh, Primavera League. So Roma still assured assured to go out to the, to the knockout stages for the league title, competing for the league title. But it would have been nice had they 
stayed motivated to actually finish top. Um, Roma women, they didn't play because of international duty, but Italy won against Iceland 1-0, with all five of Roma's players who were called up for that Italy squad making an appearance in that game. And Italy women will play Iceland once again tomorrow in another friendly, and we'll see how that goes. But uh, as, as we said, the, the big game for Roma women is on the 25th of April. It's not their first game back. Their first game back will be this Saturday, the 18th. Then next week is the big um, big second leg against Juventus. So watch out for that. And now we're talking about uh, looking forward back to the men's team, looking forward to this Thursday. And Ajax, yet again, another second leg cup fixture that will be all or nothing for Roma's season. What about the first leg, Steve? How did that go down for you? It, I think they they managed to actually find a way to to beat our most optimistic expectations because we both predicted both, uh, 2-2 for the first leg and it turned out to be even better than that, didn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say I was wrong in a good way. Um, you know, we both were, and, and I think we're both happy to say that because Roma did escape Amsterdam with a 2-1 victory. I missed the first, you know, almost 40 minutes at work. I turned it on my phone just as Ajax put the ball in the back of the net, uh, which was a bit disappointing. <laughs> so I got to see Roma down right away uh, on, on not a great goal. Um, you know, and then the second half, you know, started not great either. And with, you know, Ibanez giving away a penalty to fairly early and Dusan mm. Tadic stepped up and he was the danger man uh, we were kind of worried about because he's been the goal scorer for them most of the season, been their danger man. He was identified in the match preview. Uh, I believe Bren wrote it for that match as the, the guy who's been doing, doing the damage for them. And uh, lo and behold, one of the most unlikely things happened when Paul Lopez actually saved his penalty. He decided to go down the middle and Pau did, instead of just taking a quick dive one way or the other, stood his ground and made the save. And that was kind of the turning point of the match. Paul Lopez had a very good match from what I saw, and that was the turning point. And, you know, I think the belief kind of grew within Roma there because if they go down 2 nothing, I think it's it's probably bad news. Um, yeah. But the well, fact more, that he... More, more, than, more than just the 2 nothing is the fact that Paul Lopez saved the penalty. Yeah. So when that happened, they said, well, anything could happen this match now. Yeah, and it's one of those things. Paul gets, you know, he gets a lot of a lot of crap because, you know, he has had a rough go in Rome, but he's been very good of late, but he still hasn't been good on penalties. I think it, it's the first yeah. one he saved since he's been in the capital. Um, yeah. I, I, know, of, I know it's part... It's, it's easy to take shots at Paolo Pez, but one thing that he legitimately isn't good at, even by his own admission, is penalties. Yeah. I mean, you, just, you just don't have any faith in him, his whole body language and his, his his way of approaching it. You just think it's a goal beforehand. But luckily, Tadic saved it right at him. And uh, Lopez had the good presence of mind to just stay there and, and actually and parry it away in a, in a very good, strong way. So, yeah. yeah, he, he uh, said he studied the Ajax penalties on film mm. prior. And I guess whatever he saw in Tadic, he kind of had a feeling he would go down the middle. And luckily, he stood his ground, like you said, because that kept Roma in the match at one nothing. And another thing happened that many Romanisti would say was very unlikely, which was Lorenzo Pellegrini scoring on a free kick. I'm a big fan of his. I think, you know, sometimes his, especially his corners, sometimes they're on point. Sometimes they're awful, um, short a lot of the time. So he's hit, he's very hit or miss. And then from free kicks, he's never usually um, the the best free kick taker direct on goal. But, you know, here was, he put it on net. Uh, I think it's Ajax's backup or third string goalkeeper made the start. And it was really a goalie blunder, but hey, the ball went in the net and Roma was 1-1. Yeah, is Sherpin who was filling in for uh, o- Onana was uh, suspended because he failed the drug test, and then Stecklenberg uh, is just yeah. injured. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's a, there's a funny twist to that that incident is that um, this week the Corriere dello Sport and 
Juventus Azzarone in specific, uh, actually issued a public apology to Paolo Fonseca, given his comments after this Ajax game, where he said that the, the story that emerged uh, from uh, Jacopo Aleprandi about there being a bust up in training and players telling uh, Fonseca to go F himself uh, was a complete lie. And he mm. said that the journalist that came up with this story was not a professional and didn't want any good for the club whatsoever. And then Cordiere came out afterwards, uh, the day after, and actually issued an apology, which is quite rare for a mm. journalist to hold their hands up and say that. And they said, um, you know, Aleprandi had checked and double checked and triple checked the story. And in actual fact, the, the, there was, there was, as is always the case, there's a grain of truth to the story, but it was exaggerated, and they, they apologized for exaggerating it. And the, the grain of truth was actually that apparently uh, there was like he did discussions on the training pitch about who should be taking free kicks, and uh, if it was Pellegrini arguing with anyone, well, he just got his way because he's he's just become LP seven at uh, free kicks now. <laughs> he's, he's officially a goal scorer, so he'll be taking them from now on. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that point up about Fonseca because good for him for calling out the media. You know, he said, I could take criticism. You could say I didn't prepare a match properly or, or you know, we didn't do this right or we didn't do that right. But don't make up stories that are just there to, like, undermine the, 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 the club and undermine the, the, the team and the players in the dressing room. And I thought that was very important for him to say. I think Pedro also refuted those, those rumors. Um, so it's good yeah, to see got- that, that unity is there in that sense. He got a lot of praise from people inside of football for his his comments. So Fonseca, I'm talking about. So, yeah, um, and we'll we'll touch upon that very soon later yeah. in this episode. But yeah, yeah. So uh, we pick up from the Pellegrini, you know, goal on the free kick. Like we mentioned, the the goalkeeper Sherpid made a bit of a a blunder of it, but the goal was there, and then it was all of a sudden one one, and you know, Roma was alive, and there it was later in the match. It was off a corner kick, um, I believe, also by Pellegrini kind of yeah. bounced out to Ibanez. He chested it down and off the half volley, hammered it home. It was a, it was a lovely take from Ibanez uh, to, to put Roma up 2-1 in the 87th minute. It was, you could just see what it meant to the Roma players after the, after the goal went in, you know, big yeah. team celebration, huge, huge win on the road, 2-1 in Amsterdam for a team that has not been playing well in the league, a team that when we mentioned, I think it was a better than 60% probability that Ajax would advance uh, Mm -hmm. out of this tie and now you know it's kind of swung on its head a bit because when you look at the new updated probabilities after that Roma 2-1 win you know those away goals count double when you end up with a tie Uh, the 2-1 was huge so Roma now with the the two away goals has a 65% chance of advancing they're still underdogs at home which is a bit surprising in this next match I guess a little bit surprising considering the way the first match went but Ajax is 44% chance of winning uh, the second leg, 33% for Roma, and a 23% draw, according to 538's probabilities. Um, I can see. It doesn't surprise me. You know, yeah. Like, like you said, Ajax have that pedigree. Uh, yeah. They, you know, they, they are a club that's won at every level of Europe in the history. They, they can bring in players and, and say, look, we're, we're training you for the next three years without any pressure yeah. of selling. I think they're in, they're in the second year of this current cycle. Um, so, yeah, they, you know, they're right. I mean, maybe not right, rightfully putting it strongly, but I think, you know, them being slightly the favorites to win on the night is uh, is right. Um, but as you said, you know, like a 1-0 won't do it for Ajax. Yep. Still I was just going so. to say, so they could win. They could very well win, and, and Roma would be just fine with a one nothing loss uh, yeah. in the grand scheme of things, you know. Uh, getting through on away goals, there's no shame in that. We saw that in uh, the Champions League run a few years ago. Yeah. 
that the away goals were all the difference against Shakhtar and against Barcelona. So winning, winning against Barcelona away goals was just fine with me. Yeah, it was just fine. <laughs> <laughs> so it shows that that one extra goal by Ibanez could come up huge if Roma does either lose one nothing or draw one one or something to that effect in the second match. Um, you know, when we talked about the probabilities, how actually winning the Europa League now has a slightly higher probability than the Europa League. So you have to figure the Europa League sort of becomes a priority considering the mountain Roma has to climb in Serie A. And I think the players and team are starting to reflect that in their comments. Um, after the match, this came from Gianluca Mancini on Sunday. Obviously, the Europa League is an important competition. We pray, played great last Thursday, but we have to fight more than today if we want to earn a result, speaking of how they played against Bologna. He said, we'll start preparing tomorrow, but it's the most important game of our season so far. We're in a period right now where the games are packed in and we're starting to feel it. Uh, he added, but the most important thing today was winning and we did so. I was, it was a great feeling to wear the armband today for such a great club like Roma. I have to admit, I was quite anxious before kickoff. I don't want to, I didn't want my first match to end as captain to end badly. So the, the extra, the end I threw in there because it was a little bit extra about the emotions for someone like him wearing the armband. But the important part of that quote really came in the middle and he called it the most important match of their season so far. So Sean, do you prioritize the Europa League at this point? I mean, yeah, why not? Uh, specifically, I just want to say one thing. I hope Mancini doesn't end up one of those people like Manalas who talks talks up a game and then shows up and makes mistakes, which he did this this past Thursday. Mm. Um, he 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 didn't just talk after the game, and, and what he said is fair enough. You know, it's a big game for me. He wore the armband. He, he started as a captain, um, and he made it through. But he he spent a lot of time talking before the game as well, and I, I don't even think he was he wasn't the guy who no. It's, was, was he actually? Yeah, he was the guy who's called up to the, to the press conference before the game. So that's why his comments were out there. But he was talking up, talking up, talking up, and he makes a really bad mistake during yeah. the match. Um, and uh, I just don't want to see him going down that path. You know, I'd, I'd rather players, if if you have to choose between the two, and I'm not saying you do, but I'd rather see someone stay quiet and uh, put in like good performances rather than just like be that trying trying to assume that responsibility of uh, you know bringing like pressure onto the team to you know to really talk up a big game and then when, when it comes down to it you just do what Mancini did which is back off the ball and and you know lead to the one nil um so that's all I'd say about that but I to get back to your question yeah why not uh, focus on Europa League because I said last episode um that good performances on Thursday can translate to good performances on Sunday and I think we saw that maybe not necessarily in terms of dominating against Bologna mm -hmm. or even looking like the favorites, but still uh, hold, like keeping that self-belief when you're under pressure. You know, if you do it against Ajax, why can't you do it against Bologna? Right. And uh, if you do it against Bologna, you can do it against Ajax again. And it's just momentum that feeds into it. So, mm -hmm. so I think, I think that that's how it works. How about yeah. You? I think that's the, the mental aspect. I think you make a great point. And yeah, I forgot to mention on the goal, how it was a, a, another really Roma mistake. It was a poor pass from Diawara back and Mancini kind of got yeah. caught between two minds. Should I stay? Or should I, press the ball and it you know when you get caught in between two minds usually ends up the, the, being a bad decision because you have to be aggressive yeah. one way or the other well, um well, re, re, sorry not to cut you off yeah really caught in three minds um i, I i'm not i do i definitely makes a mistake by passing it short so i don't absolve him of his mistake but uh mantini's was the the big error for me because um the, he has options like he's his his best choice, his best decision in that in that play is always to go and attack the ball, no matter yep. what. Um, you know, if you if you stand off it, you're giving Klaassen more time to either pass it to his left, which was the second thing Mancini was worried about, 
or pass it to his right, which is the first thing Mancini was worried about, or even shoot on goal. If you just push up and attack a ball, you're taking away time for Carson to make mm-hmm. his own decisions. Yep. So it's, it's, that's always the best option. And for some reason, he just didn't do that. But yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a, sort of an uncharacteristic mistake from him. He's usually a pretty heady player. But um, one thing I have to say about him since we're on him, I was happy to see that he bounced back so well on Sunday. Uh, he yeah. was probably man of the match, in my opinion. He had a very strong performance. I noticed when he did make fouls, there was nothing reckless to, to earn a yellow card, which he's had problems with. He, he led by yeah. example in a lot of ways with that armband on for most of the match. Um, yeah. You know, I, I thought it was a very, very good performance. So it's nice to see him bounce back. Also, I think Agreed. the goal did wonders for Ibanez because he had a he had a very strong match yesterday too. After he made that big yeah. mistake on the penalty, yeah, he was uh, yesterday. I found him, he he was calmer than usual. Like there was there's a point in the second half where he actually cut out a pass, um, which normally he he would just like run up and try and uh, make a physical matchup against mm-hmm. that player. But he he just he just calmly maintained his position and just cut off the pass. And as you know, you can you can make your life easier that way. We've been waiting for Ibanez to do that, so. Uh, that was nice to see from him. Yeah. Uh, so Mancini, he's he's my favorite Roma player right now. So you know, I'm, I'm very happy whenever he puts in a good performance. I, I said that Megatron's the only elite guy on this team, but Mancini is very close. You know, like he he's a guy who, um, the way he plays on the ball and the way he positions himself and the way he anticipates everything, he he can he can really let you go from playing a back back four to uh, to a midfield five in, in no time at all. With, yeah. And, and his passing is just so good. So, and that's, that's not even touching his defending, which is getting better all the time. So, yeah. I, yeah. I'd love to see Mancini. I forgot to mention last match. So, my birthday passed a few weeks ago. So, my, my wife asked me what I wanted. So, of course, it was a, a new Roma jersey because you know, <laughs> I try not to treat myself now that we have a house. But uh, I did I did invest in Mancini. So, hopefully, he sticks around for a while because yeah. I've, I've had the tendency to kind of uh, jinx those things with certain players. So, oh, I'm okay. hoping he's around well, for the long haul. <laughs> happy belated birthday. I didn't Thank know. you. <laughs> um, so, you know, we, you mentioned earlier about cup football and how, you know, teams approach cup football. So how do you think Roma will and how do you think they should approach this one tactically? Same as usual. Do, do, what, do what's been working the last two or three weeks. Well, maybe not. Maybe it didn't work against Asuolo. But, um, you know, just uh, if, if you get in a, a rhythm and a routine playing this way where you, you drop five at the back, which I've been criticizing all season, but now it seems like they actually found a way to actually believe in it. Um, and play the long ball, go for it. Um, because, you know, Ajax, they may have Dusan Tadic, but they're missing Sebastian Haller, like we said, who uh, once again was decisive this weekend in Ajax's game in Holland. Um, I believe he scored a goal, but he's ineligible to play for Europe. So they don't really have anyone to pass it to up front. So mm-hmm. if, you, if you just invite the long ball from them, you'll win. Yeah. I agree. I, th- I think that's the approach you're going to take up to one. Um, that seems to be like that typical Italian approach too to things like you mentioned dialing, dialing up Allegri before. And that mm-hmm. seems to be the approach that many of these Italian managers that Fonseca gets criticized for not having. I saw a, a question in the pre-match press conference. Oh, do you think you should have like an Italian on your staff? Because, you know, like these ridiculous things. But, you know, we, we bring this up today uh, just because I'm thinking of the Italian way of doing things. So in that way, if Fonseca does approach it with five at the back, you know, that's pretty Italian in itself, play that kind of Catanaccio approach and just try to hit on the yeah. counter. Um, and there's, and I, there's, I think that's what they'll try thing, to do. Another thing uh, I saw someone bring up on, on the Dutch side of things was they said that uh, as a typical Dutch team, apparently, Ajax are weak at set pieces and they've been conceding mm. set pieces for a number of years now. Uh, sorry, conceding goals from set pieces for a number of years now. So 
you know, if it comes down to uh, kicking the ball out of touch and, and trying to win from corners, Roman could have a lot of joy that way as well. Yeah, and I was going to to say too, now with, you know, Ibanez and Mancini, Mancini was never out, thank goodness, because he was the one constant in the back. But with Cristante and Ibanez and Mancini, you have three guys who can pass the ball in the back pretty well um, to play that long ball. And yeah. I think Jekko starts, I think for the experience, I think also for the holdup play aspect, because if Roma is booting a lot of balls forward like they were this past week, I think Fonseca might prefer uh, Jekko just to have players run off him rather than just have Myral kind of just try to hold up the ball, which he's not as big and physically imposing as Jekko, especially with Daly Blind out. They're missing their best center back on the opposite side. So um, I, I think that's where he goes. I'm curious to see if Mkhitaryan starts. Hopefully he has enough to at least give Roma 60 minutes because I think he can cause IX fits on the counterattack. I think Roma's been okay. missing him and Jordan Vert too. You know, if you can get 65, 70 good minutes out of him as well, I think Roma's just a better team overall where you can play maybe Vertu Diawara if you want to go a little more defensive. If you want to play with VR, you could play with VR next to Vertu. But I think it's some kind of combination of them. And I think very clearly Mkhitaryan and Pellegrini in the attacking mid because Pellegrini only played a little bit of this match. Um, Karsdorp was clearly rested. So was Calafiori. So I think those are the options at the wings who probably sit a little bit deeper, similar to what we saw this weekend from Reynolds and Perez. Um, and then Powell's back in goal. And I think there's your starting 11. I think the one question mark for me is who starts between DOR and VR. I think the other positions, as long as everybody's healthy enough to start, are, are kind of written there. The other 10, what do you think? I think it has to be DOR because uh, I'd pay, I mean, I'm no good at predicting starting outs, but I'd pay close attention to whoever Ajax play, uh, starts on the wings. Uh, since, like, you know, Rick Karstorp is. Um, not always the best defensively, even though he's, he's clearly made uh, strides as, as, as his fitness has gone up the season, he's gone mm-hmm. better at, at defending and getting back and covering gaps. But then you know you've got uh, Evergreen Calafiori starting on the left. Yep. What will be his first experience? So I'd pay a close attention. You know, if I'm Ajax, I'm going to try and uh, play that. Um, I'm going to try and exploit that three at the back by getting wingers behind uh, the, the wide backs. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's, you, you, you need the water there to, to go wide and, and double up for his wide backs when they're caught high up the pitch. I agree. I, I would start Diawara in this situation. He's much more defensively sound than VR. Um, we even saw VR kind of get a little talking to from Pellegrini in this past match where, uh, you know, he kind of made a mistake and it led to Pellegrini having to take a, a tactical foul late in the match and get a yellow card that's going to get him suspended for this coming Sunday. But that's, you know, we'll worry about Sunday come Sunday. But I think yeah. Diawara is, is the better option next to Vertu. I think you, you get more defensive solidity, which is what Roma really needs, nursing a 2-1 lead and hopefully hitting on the counterattack. I agree, especially with Calafiori back there, who, you know, I, they didn't really maybe game plan to attack Calafiori last match, but I, would be, I wouldn't be surprised if he sees a lot, yeah, more, yeah. lot more action down really his side. Yeah. Um, yeah, so what do you think? Let's make some predictions. We didn't put it into our outline here, but what are you, what are you thinking for Thursday? I don't know, man. It could go either way. I, I, you know, I really, I don't want to sound like uh, Doctor Doom, but I could still see Alex pulling this one out. Um, I agree with Fonseca last week when he said that it's. Well, sorry, after this this weekend, he said it you need the perfect match to put away Alex, and I agree with that. Um, I'm going to go with another score draw and and Roma going through. I agree. I I think it will be also tough to beat Ajax. Very capable side of coming to Rome and getting a result. Uh, the thing that gives me some hope, like I mentioned, the good performances from Mancini and Ibanez in the weekend show they're playing with confidence, which is important because we'll be under attack, I think, a lot. Um, but also having Mkhitaryan and Vertu back in the lineup gives me a little more hope that Roma can cope 
with the the onslaught encounter in a much more effective way. And I'm going to go, I'll go with scoring draw also. Um, I'll, I'll go with my same 2-2 scoreline because that would be all Roma needs to get through. Um, I just hope we don't end up giving up two and scoring one and going into extra time or something like that or giving up more than two because then it gets gets very dicey. But I'm going to go 2-2, two, two, hope for the best. I I'll think go. Roma's in a good mindset right now. I'll go with 1-1. One, one. That was my initial one, but I decided to go higher score. <laughs> my, my initial one last week was 1-1, one, one, and I changed the last minute. To two, two. I'm going with 1-1 one, one this time. Go back to 1-1. One, one. All right, so we'll hopefully we'll be back at our next episode talking about Roma playing uh, Manchester United in, in the round of four, the, the semifinals. Well, um, even even better would be them playing Granada. Even, even yeah, I mean, if Granada can pull off a, a, an upset, God bless, because right now Manchester United in the probabilities has a greater than 99% chance of making the semis yeah. and and just to chew on this from a Roma or Ajax perspective the computers like um United so much as the favorites to win this competition that they have United having a seven, 67% chance of making the final whether they play Ajax or Roma uh where mm-hmm. the other side of the bracket the highest chance is Villarreal at 46% so just shows that Roma at 18% Ajax at 15% to make the final still fairly low so United heavy favorite so if Roma's going to make the final they're going to have to go through the best teams in this competition. Yeah, I agree with that assessment. You know, like I, I, we've seen Roma have problems uh, with physical top teams like Sevilla last last season. So I feel that they might have the same problems against United. We'll see. Yeah. So we'll move on, Sean. Um, you're going to take us through some media talking points. So why don't you pick that up? Yeah, we were gonna we we're gonna get to the listener questions right at the end. But first, uh, there was a very interesting uh, episode of Kristen Vieri's Twitch show where he often invites Cassano, uh, Daniele Adani, and Nicola Ventola onto the show, all four former ex interplayers at some point in their careers. Um, and they were talking about Fonseca, which we, we just spoke about before in terms of his uh, taking, you know, really calling out the press and drawing a line and saying, look, um, you know, criticism is okay, but lies no. And uh, Cassano had this to say on Twitch. He said, at Roma, it's enough for you to say something small and the press will turn it into a mountain. They did it to Luis Enrique and Luis Enrique left and won everything in football, putting together a spectacular style of play. Unfortunately, that's how things go at Roma. You win three games, you're a phenomenal champion. You lose and they start to target whichever coach or whichever player at the time is most convenient. And now, Steve, given Cassano's words, I wanted to ask you, I mentioned in the last episode that we don't know what the Freakins are capable of so far. We're hopeful, but we, we still really don't, we don't... They're not a known quantity. So really, it's just a, ca- a case of buying time. We don't really know what we... If, you know, if, if Roma, God forbid, uh, performs badly in the future, then once we know more about the Freakins, we probably turn our frustration against the top-level owners. But until then, they've earned like, some sort of indemnity. So really, it's about who's going to be the target of our frustration until then. And uh, I wanted to ask you, who, who's been the biggest scapegoat so far in terms of buying the Freakins' time? Because Paolo Fonseca, I think we both agreed, the coach, even though he, he might be, you know, you could criticise him for mistakes he's made this season, the coach isn't the problem in the wider scheme of things. And then there's Eden Dzeko, who you'll probably disagree with me on this, but the, you know, the line of thinking was that Dzeko's, uh, Dzeko being a captain and his, his energy was negatively affecting the team. But in recent weeks, we've seen that... Um, Lorenzo Pellegrini has been playing, playing his heart out wearing the armband, and yet still half the Roma team in, in games like Sassuolo and such and such look like they've checked out, they've mentally checked out for the season. And they, they need, you know, it's clearly 
the captaincy isn't hasn't um, changed things in terms of giving them the edge on the pitch or not. So who's the biggest scapegoat between the two? Is it, is it has it been the coach or the captain out to drive? I think the bigger scapegoat has to be Fonseca. Um, you know, I think you and I have mentioned many times that we we support him. I would still support him for another season, even if Roma doesn't win the Europa League and finishes seventh, just because I think they're he's building something. And it, it's hard to judge a manager when he's had so many players out. I mean, you look at the stretch to where they've kind of fallen apart in the standings, and it's been a lot of major injuries. Vertu and Mkhitaryan have been out for much of that stretch, two of the most important players, you know, and he doesn't have all the pieces in place necessarily that he needs to really implement a, a winning style. We have a lot of young players who are showing great growth under him. So I think he's been the bigger scapegoat. Um, I think Jekko too has played some of the scapegoat. Like you mentioned, I think, look, Jekko this past Thursday didn't score a goal, but I thought he had a very strong match in, in Amsterdam, the kind of match you need from your veteran leaders. And like you mentioned, Pellegrini plays his rear end off with all the effort. And there, there's been many matches where he's been the captain, where he looks like, he's trying harder than anybody in the pitch and usually lead by example kind of fires up the, the rest of the guys. And we haven't seen that every match. So um, I think both have taken some undue criticism, but I think it is a little bit easier to blame the manager all the time. Um, I don't think Jekko has been perfect this year. I think far from it. Um, but if you ask for a bigger scapegoat, I would have to say Fonseca because I think he's done a lot of good this year. And it's hard also because even the matches Roma has lost, we mentioned, I mentioned earlier, those individual errors have doomed Roma. There's nothing Fonseca can do about that. Um, mm. Unless he's not trying to correct them in training, which I'm sure he is. You know, if a player is having, you know, like Ibanez against Lazio, cost Roma two goals. Like, what can you do about that? Uh, mm. in a in mid-match, you know, there's not much you can do from a managerial standpoint. Then your team's in a hole three goals. You know, it's hard to hard to fix that, you know, at halftime. Fair point, fair point. I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because now I'm gonna now I'm gonna tighten the vice grip a little bit more because <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna actually get into how you can criticize Fonseca. Um let's go back to what Adani uh sorry Cassano and Daniel Adani had to say about um things that make you think. Cassano said uh, this was in, in, in response to Vier, uh, Bobo Vieri saying that uh, why, why haven't Roma done anything about uh, stopping journalists publishing lies? And Cassano said, almost all football clubs in Italy work with the media. When a journalist comes to the club to say they have a story, even if they don't reveal the source, do you think the club will say, don't print the story? It's impossible. Very few clubs try to do that. I'll give it to you that if it's Ju Juventus, then it's possible they send you away. That's possible. Adani followed up on that and said, pay close attention to whichever journalist tells you so-and-so is a coach with big character. Don't confuse character with people-pleasing, or specifically in Italian they said Ruffiani, but it's, you know, the, the, the vague figurative meaning of that is a people-pleaser. Um, don't confuse having character with being a people-pleaser, because coaches with great character don't need to phone up a journalist with info or give them the starting lineup the day before the game, so that journalist will then go and write articles in their defense later on. Let's just remember that everyone pays the price for bad results on the pitch, whether it be people pleasers or good coaches. It's not as if people pleasers are going to earn themselves an extra week in the job. But it's not enough to say you have character. What you're doing is phoning up all the journalists, then beating your chest to play the hard man in public, using your false media people to help you promote the image of the hard man and earn an extra week in the job. Whoever doesn't win games gets sent home all the same. Now, Adani followed up by uh, talking about Jekko's performance against Ajax. And uh, it seemed like Adani was indirectly going at Jekko by you know, saying like, it's essentially that he's 
he's uh, played the media game after he was uh, you know stripped from of the armband and, and thrown out of the team and and really played up the you know sent sent a few stories to journalists to try and to get them to write up about him as like you know the, the guy who cares about Roma, the guy who who get up in people's faces and, and try and dream them up and fire them up to perform on the pitch. Um, but I I took it as uh, it not necessarily um, going against anyone personally per se, but really like a wider point about the kind of characters that win over the crowd in Roma. And I I think you could put Gianluca Petracchi in this in this uh, box. And then on the other side, I think you could, you could bring up criticisms about Fonseca because I'll give I'll give you another very interesting piece that came out today. Um, this is based on CIES, the Observatory's study of the use of under-21 players in Europe this week, and uh, sorry, of this season. And um, it, the latest numbers from that study said that uh, the average age of the Roma squad in general, without without taking into account how much they, each member has played, so like you've got Jacko who's 35, obviously he brings up the age uh, gap considerably, and then you've got, on the other end, you've got uh, Reynolds at 19, who's barely played. But without taking into account playing time, the average age of Roma squad is 27 point something years old, which is right smack dab in the middle. You know, it's like next to Juve, into, you know, they, don't, they don't give away anything in terms of age experience, in terms of squad. And then, interestingly, in terms of using under 21 players and playing them on the pitch this season, Roma rank very, very low, extremely low, like almost less than 3% of all playing time. So can you not make the criticism about Fonseca, like, I guess my, my question to you is twofold. We'll deal with the Petraki stuff afterwards, but um, in terms of Fonseca, I guess if we're, you know, I've gone along with this. I, I even said myself, I believe that this squad was very young compared to the opponents, but we're seeing that's not necessarily the case in terms of numbers. Maybe if, maybe you could argue that 21 is too young to make the threshold of cutoff. Maybe if you uh, raise it to like under 23 or under 25, that'd be a different story. But it made me think, look at Fonseca's use of more older experienced players this season. He's used Pedro. Pedro's not playing well. He's used Mkhitaryan. Mkhitaryan's played amazingly, but some people have said that uh, Fonseca's over-relied on him and even run him into injury by playing him for many minutes he has. He's used uh, Fazio sparingly when other people felt like instead of playing Cristante in events, you could just use Fazio. And then he's used, um, who's the other guy? Well, Smalling was injured. There's someone else. On, oh, yeah, Jacko. Okay, now he, he, he's dropped Jacko. Maybe that was deserved. But he shook me the armband. And now he's, he's trying to play Jacko again. And we've seen that Jacko isn't necessarily playing, except this week, accepted against Ajax, where he played well. He hasn't, we haven't got the same Jacko back. You know, that, that his man management of Jacko hasn't really worked. So can you, can you not, is that not an open criticism, direct criticism of Fonseca? Is that, um, okay, we're saying that. He, he's had a less experienced team, but his use of experienced players has almost always been wrong. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting um, when you look at, yeah, the median age is 27.3 or whatever it is right there in the middle and the U21 use is low. I think that's a low age to judge teams off of because especially Italian teams, the, the, the U21s don't get much, get much run out in Italy compared to other leagues. I think 23, 24 would probably be a more fair assessment. I think if you went by that number, Roma would be, pretty high up there because they've they use a lot of players in like 23 24 range i feel like when when you look at roma's roster yeah they use experienced players but they're kind of past their prime experienced players you talk about jecko you talk about you know pedro you talk about smolens had the injury issues this year maybe he's on the wrong side I, of his prime and i thought i thought that too i don't want to interrupt your thought process but 
look at Juventus. They use a 35-year-old Cristiano Ronaldo. They use yeah. Chiellini back in the vets, same age. So they, they use their experienced key players differently. Yeah. I was going to, what I was getting at is that I think Roma really doesn't have many players in the prime of their career, even though they fall into the median age, falls into players in their prime because 27, 28 tends to be like that. Those prime years, maybe 26 to 29 or so. You look at the roster, who's in their prime really that's at their peak right now, maybe Vertu. Um, I think Pellegrini's getting there, but he's still on the ascendancy. I think Mancini's getting there, but he's still rising also. And then you look at around the rest of the pitch. Mkhitaryan, the one overage player who's really performed well. When I say overage, I mean like over 30 player. Um, and I guess Spinazzolo would be in his prime. So I think outside, I think Vertu and Spinazzolo would be the two guys that are truly in their prime right now in those like 26 to 29 years. So I think, I think numbers can be misleading sometimes when you look, oh, Roma's median age is 27. They're right in that, you know, Juventus, Milan, not even Milan. Milan plays a very young team. Um, Juve, Inter kind of range. Um, mm. So I think that's tough because they, the, the Jekos of the world and the Pagers, like you said, it, uh, they bring up that number. But how, mm. I, my, my question would be, you know, how many of those guys are really in their prime that Fonseca could rely on on a week-to-week basis to really carry the load? You know, we see the growing pains with Ibanez. We see it sometimes even with Mancini, who I think is now 24, going on 25, might have just turned 25. So, you know, you still have those growing pains with some of those players. Um, okay. And I, I think that's where the, the leadership lacks a little bit too in this Roma side is Jekko was a leader at 33 uh, past his prime. Pellegrini's picked up the reins, but he's not like a prime age player. So I think you're kind of missing those kind of guys too on the side. Mm. Well, I, I just, I question whether we're not paying the same price with Fonseca as we do with Di Francesco. I was a big EDF fan, but one of my things that never convinced me about him was that he didn't necessarily manage to get into the head of experienced players and, mm. and, and convince them to do what he wanted them to do. Now, Fonseca seems like he's got more charisma and is more convincing than Di Francesco, but his actual decisions in terms of experienced players, um, and I won't go too in-depth because we'll get we'll end up tripping over this on Alyssa's questions later, but I think that, I think he's made mistakes there, put it that way. But taking your answer, um, it actually leads me to the second part of my question, which is Gianluca Petraki and the squad that he put together for Roma. Now, you're saying that there aren't too many players in their prime, and even the ones that, you know, 22, 23, you know, that got promised just around the corner, they were signed knowing that you had to put in a lot of work there. Mm. So given what Adani said about people who like the tough guy image in media, but don't necessarily stack up with results, can we not put Petraki, like, can we not criticize Petraki directly for that? Because his Roma squad is a contradiction. You know, yeah. we, we had Petraki saying for the year that he was here that he specifically went out to go scout guys who he felt would be um, would fight for the shirt. And now, a year or more down the line, most of the talk in terms of transfers is about Roma needing just two or three key players, and that's a good position to be in. But crucially, everyone says the key players that need to sign are antagonistic guys, leaders, who will actually give that backbone to the squad. You know, we're talking about a Roma that's been put together that's too soft on the Petraki. I guess that's a contradiction in terms, isn't it? Yeah, I think in some ways, um, I you, you, Petrarchi has to take some of the blame. I know he's he's beloved uh, among Roma fans for like the year of work he put in. And I think he did find some good players for Roma. You know, many of the young players we compliment were found by Petrarchi and now are now developing under Fonseca. But when you talk about that personality, that charisma, and like that kind of hard nose fight for the shirt attitude, 
I think Mancini does it most most matches. I think he, and that's why mm-hmm. he's risen to probably third in the pecking order in the captain, uh, you know, ranks. Um, uh, Cristante wasn't brought in by Petrarchi, but he kind of, he's more of like the silent leader, it seems like, because he's second in, in line. He's like the vice captain at this point for a reason. So, you know, mm-hmm. Fonseca must see something, but he doesn't, he doesn't do it in as uh, the same way, I don't think, as a Mancini type player or like a De Rossi did. Um, you know, I, I, think, have, I have I have seen him like push around opponents after they've pushed around his teammates. I've yeah. seen him stick up for his teammates. Yeah. Sense. But also Mancini was already a dealer set up before Petraki came. He just True. he just sealed the deal. He just kind of sealed the deal. So yeah, I mean the players he's brought in, I guess I could see Ibanez turning into that type of player with experience. He seems like he has a bit of personality to him. Um yeah. But a lot of the other players, yeah, I don't know. Like VR, I think he's kind of young to judge right now. He kind of looks too much like a kid, maybe to be taken seriously as like a, a hard-nosed player. Diawara seems to be more of a quiet, go-about-your-business type player. Um, so, yeah, I don't think he's brought in, and unless I'm forgetting somebody, I don't think he's brought in too many players that are like that fight for the shirt, be a leader on the pitch kind of attitude that like we always come back to that Champions League side that made that run. But you look at that team and you look at the midfield, the players that were – patrolling the midfield you had De Rossi, yeah. Nyangalan and Strutman besides yeah, Kolarov at left back you know three guys will eat your lunch yeah. yeah and then Kolarov would do the same thing at left back so yeah. you know there was a, a handful of players if one guy was hurt the rest would could step in and fill that that void you know um yeah. and I, I think this Roma side does lack that a bit um well the one thing I'd say in Petraki's defense is that his his idea for backup strike was Nikola Kanalic who is definitely antagonist antagonistic guy sorry um even even in Kalic's worst form underneath us uh I saw him come on against Cagliari last season and literally kill out eight minutes of play like almost like a penalty killing in in ice hockey it was like that he just came on and he's like right we're we're leading we need to waste time and kill out the rest of the game and he did that almost entirely by himself just by pissing off four Cagliari defenders all alone up front and he, he did it successfully so Kalinic was that kind of guy, and then we've seen him replaced by this new board with Boa Rao, who um, doesn't necessarily have that streak in him yet. So that's my mini defense of Petraki in terms of giving him a small benefit of doubt. But um, yeah, a, re- a red flag against guys like that who come into Rome and and they, you know, they say all the things that will that put them over the fans. But then when you look at the actual team he's put together, it's really not that great. You know, he he spent 150 million. He's not he wasn't. He wasn't given a short budget. He may have not spent all that money up front. He may have spent it spread out over two seasons, but he spent that money all the same. And we, we've yet to see this team finish in the top four. Yeah. And I think those uh, young players, the Ibanez, VR signings, especially kind of mask over some of the uh, mistake signings he's made, like the Pastores. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think having those two young players that look like they have vast potential for a cheap price are kind of what endeared him to the fans because that's the kind of signings you want to see. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that is how or Paul Lopez rather. Yeah, that's right. Pastor is before him, but Paul Lopez, like those kind of signings, you know, and I think of a player we, we talk about as a potential target at striker, like you watch on Andrea Belotti play for a terrible Torino side. That guy fights tooth and nail every minute of the match for that team for a terrible yeah. team. And those are the kind yeah. of players that Roma needs. Uh, Roma's a better side than Torino, much more potential, but you do need that fight. And um, a lot of players don't have that fight at times, which is, which is, disappointing when because we got used to that with De Rossi and like I'd mentioned the other players even Totti would would fight it out you know and yeah. really antagonize opponents uh, I think I think we both love De Paul if he signs up yeah I yeah. I would I would take him in a heartbeat <laughs> all right let me let me hit you with the list of questions and to wrap up this episode 
given uh, this comes sorry this comes from uh, Maltese Romanista maybe maybe Maltese Romanista if, if you're a fan of uh, Il Corto Maltese the comic then I I give you many props good sir um, given that versus Ajax will probably be playing in a more counter-attacking manner should Roma start Meral for his runs and pressing or would the hold-up play from Jaco be more useful Steve? I think he's going with Jekko, um, and I agree with that decision just because I think in this match, I think I had mentioned a little bit earlier that I think Jekko's hold-up play would be useful, especially if Mkhitaryan's back, uh, and you can have him and Pellegrini kind of run off him. Um, I know we're going to be lacking the Spina solo runs down the left, so I think I think we're going to see more long balls, and I think having a player that can actually win those long balls will be important in this match. Um, as as good as it is to see Myral press and things like that, I I, I would lean Jekko for that hold-up play. What about you, Sean? And, and he had a good performance, too, on Thursday. I I could see positives from starting both. The hold-up play, definitely, uh, but also the, the pressing and defending as a team from Myral. I think that's also a positive. Um, like I said, I, I don't think it comes down to tactical decisions. I think it comes down to experience. Uh, we had Fonseca outright last season at this very same time of the year saying that he felt it's not right to rely on younger players at the business end of the season. And if you can go experience, go with experience. So I think in Fonseca's mind, he's going with Ed and Jacko. Yeah. Uh, question from Pietro, Pietro Rizzo. He says, at times, it feels like Pedro is invisible during games. That being said, should Mkhitaryan start from the beginning on Thursday, despite just returning? Should he also use Carlos Perez on Thursday, Due to, due to his speed and because he links with Mera better, Steve? I would say if Mkhitaryan has at least 60 minutes in his legs, I think you got to go Mkhitaryan from the start because if you can find a goal early, you might be able to kill Ajax's spirits a bit and go up 3-1 in the tie. Um, Pedro, he fought hard on Thursday. I'll give him that. He worked his rear end off, and I think he could be useful. And I think if Mkhitaryan can give you 60 good minutes or so, I think um Pedro could be useful off the bench with that work rate. If he can give you 30 good minutes of pressing where you don't necessarily need to rely on him from an offensive perspective, but more from uh, playing the attacking midfield and pressing, I think it could be useful. Uh, I don't think Carlos Perez starts. Um, I, I, I don't think he's done enough lately to warrant it. I know he had a goal a couple matches ago, but I think it's going to be Pellegrini, Mkhitaryan. And I don't think Mayoral's going to start for him to link up with anyway. I think it's going to be Dzeko. Uh, what about mm-hmm. you? Yeah, uh, I could say more on Pedro, but we have another question and I'm coming up his run, so I'll, I'll save it for then. I'll just say that uh, Pietro, I think that Mkhitaryan starts again. I agree with Steve. Uh, as for Perez, I know what you're talking about because I I, I saw this weekend uh, Meral, like he was late to, to, to shift wide left for Pedro Pedro's run down the middle and Pedro looked pissed off at Meral for that. He looked like, well, why, why are you, you know, a, a touch off step? Um, I don't. I haven't actually seen Meral link with Pedes that much to be able to comment on whether he links better with him or not. But um, I definitely have seen Meral this season. Even though he's talked up Pedro in the media as someone who he looks up to and it's great to have him at the club, I don't see much understanding between them both. Um, but again, that that comes back to how Pedro's being used in this Roma team, which we'll come back to later on with a, with our listener question right at the very end. Uh, let's move to. Salvatore Birardi's question. Any new sponsors on the horizon, Steve? Uh, not that I've heard of. I, I'm pretty sure I heard that Hyundai was back on board for the, the rear sponsor of the shirt. Um, thought I saw they were having a little trouble with renewing the Qatar deal, but I, I'm not positive mm-hmm. off the top of my head. What about you? Yeah, that's what I've, I've read. Um, I read in the last two weeks that 
Hyundai are very keen, no problems to return, like renew their sponsorship until 2023. Uh, that's at the behest of the club will as well. Uh, but Qatar, uh, on the other hand, Qatar Airways are very unconvinced about paying the same price that they paid when they enthusiastically jumped on the Roma bandwagon after that win against Barcelona. Almost like overnight, they signed a sponsorship deal for 11 million euros per season. I think a little bit more of that. Uh, if you if you include bonuses in Champions League, which obviously Roma haven't earned, um, so yeah, they're they're just not convinced about uh, sponsoring Roma to the same tune, given that Roma are not in Europe's top competition the last two seasons and maybe even for three seasons in a row now. Um, and then uh, the the final rumor on in terms of sponsors is that the Freakins are maybe going to bump up Hyundai to the front of the shirt. Because they want to see, they want to be able to have the evidence that a car sponsor can uh, benefit from putting their stamp on the Roma shirt and escape this post-pandemic world with better results. Mm. So that they'll warm up the sponsorship deal for Toyota in 2023, where they uh, freaking go back home and, and bring Toyota onto the shirt for even more money than anyone can dream of. But those are just rumors for now. They come specifically from Romanista and from Gazette de la Sport. We'll see. I think it's very up in the air right now still. Um, next question from Andrew Bunton. He asks, hasn't Bruno Perez played well enough to justify a year extension? If he departs, they will surely need a replacement when Reynolds goes on loan, I hope. And sorry, that's not me saying I hope, it's Andrew. And Calafiore plus Spinazzola get hurt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> What'd you make of that, Steve? Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I think Pettis has been very serviceable in his role this year. I think you could do a lot worse than he's done. Uh, I think Roma could probably do better, too. I, I hate to be pessimistic on the Spinazzola Calafiori front because I, Spinazzola, up until this past week, has been healthy all year, playing almost every match of the season for Roma. So I think his health is, uh, you know, improved by leaps and bounds this year. It doesn't mean it will next year, too. But I think. You know, I, I would have preferred in, in other instances this year when Calafiori was available that he would have played over Pettis. So I don't also don't want, um, you know, him clogging up a roster spot. I think it would have to be in a role where he's happy being second or third choice on both wingback positions if Roma does it at a very affordable rate. I, I can't see Roma spending big on a, a guy who's backing up Karsdorp and Spinazzola who look like the surefire starters going into next year, barring a sale in the Mercato. And I also don't want to see him taking away playing time from Califiori and possibly Reynolds if Reynolds is still here. I don't know if it's necessarily uh, a given that Reynolds goes out on loan. If he gets a couple matches down the stretch here and shows something to Fonseca and, you know, depending on if Fonseca is still here, that's another question. What is the next manager value if it's, if it's not Fonseca? If we go with more of an Allegri type manager, then maybe you need to keep uh, Bruno Pettis type player around who's more experienced because mm-hmm. Allegri might want to loan out Reynolds and Calafiori for, for all you know. So um, I think it's, it's hard to say, I, but if I think if he were to be offered a renewal, which from all of reports from Roma press and all these places have not been on the table at all, um, then I think it would have to be on a very cheap deal. Yeah. Cheap is the key to that. Uh, I, I think Steve, you make a great point about it depends on who the next coach will be. Um, I'm going to assume that the, the the club doesn't radically change their policy and rip up everything again and go with Allegri, but it's, you can't rule it out. Um, I, I think they'll stick with a coach who, who is willing to do that blend of youth and, and experience. Um, but very straightforward, Andrew. I think um, 
uh, there's no way Reynolds signs for Roma if he's just going to go out alone to some smaller club because he might as well just sign for Juventus in that case and, and mm-hmm. go on to Benevento. I think he's been promised that he'll get a, a, a consistent shot at first team football within the next 12, 18 months. Um, Calafiori Ditto, even though it's, it's harder for him, I really don't, I don't know how that situation can get resolved with Spinazzola because Spinazzola is easily, easily the most expensive player on, on the on the team if you uh, if Javis Pastore gets moved on this summer. So you've got pressure to play him regularly and then you've got Calafiori with the most demanding agent in the world. Um, on this side, going to be pushing for his his client to get first team football. So I really don't know how that left wing is going to get resolved. There's no place for Bruno Perez there. Uh, right wing, I think Reynolds uh, would be annoyed if he was just made third choice next season. And uh, also very straightforward. I think Roma loses money as a club. So uh, really, they're, they're in they're of the mindset now that if you can get rid of expenses right now today, you do that, and then you worry about it later on. And uh, if Bruno Perez can't be signed on a on less wages than he's on right now, then he's out. He's out the door because Roma are losing money by by the bucket load right now. And, yeah, uh, that's no joke. And I think you mentioned Spinazzola being the most expensive player on the roster, but his playing time is more than justified based on his performance this year. So I think that's important to note too. It's not that Calafiori would be stuck behind him solely based on money. I think at this point, like we might have seen last well, year. Yeah, sorry, I'm not, I'm not trying to make it out as if like Spinazzola's played purely for the money yeah but it's harder to drop a guy when he's the mm-hmm. most expensive player yeah that way. agreed um yeah. uh final question very simply steve from nazil or nazil i don't know how you pronounce it but he asks pedro or no pedro uh <laughs> so i think it depends on the situation in the match uh pedro is far from my first choice in the attacking midfield right now uh, because he has been disappointing, especially later at the the longer the season's worn on, the more disappointing he's gotten. But like I mentioned, I think he does have some value in certain situations because the work rate is still there for a 33 year old. He will work his tail off. Um, so in the right situation, he can provide the good pressing that Roma need uh, and things like that. But you can't count on him to score a goal right now. So I think, you know, I think we'll see plenty of him down the stretch if Roma stay in the Europa League because they'll have two competitions to play on, a lot of two match weeks. But He's not my first choice if that's what the question's getting at. Mm, yeah, I think that, that is what the question's getting at. And meaning that I, I wouldn't start him in this match. And in the wider scheme of things, you know, we're talking about Pedro being invisible. Um, I certainly, like Steve is saying, I can't fault him for effort because he, he does put that, uh, he does show that desire to, to like press and, and try and win the ball back and, and really get up in people's faces in matches. Um, but his effort is just, been channeled in such a wrong way this season and I, I think that I criticize Fonseca because and, and the club as well because he's been signed to play a role that he's never played before um, you know Barcelona he was a winger uh, at most he was a, a wide forward Chelsea ditto he was a winger you know the most he had to worry about when he was younger was uh, just beat your man to the ball and put the ball in the middle of the box or take shots yourself when you when you when you run and make that overlap run now he's being played deeper he's been played in a attacking unit, like an attacking two behind the striker uh, in a counter-attacking team. Uh, what, when has Pedro ever had to do that in his life before? Ever. Yeah. Uh, certainly not at Barcelona. So, you know, as you just see Pedro, I don't know if it's just his interpretation of what he's been asked to do this, this season, whether, you know, he's just trying to adapt to being a, a, the most experienced player who's expected to set an example. But you see him, like, head down, ball hogging, running, 
running into blind channels sometimes and just losing the ball, running into danger. And I struggle to think of anything that Pedro gets right right now. But I think it's just because he's been signed for he's been signed to perform a role in his score that he's never done before. And it's clearly a mistake on everyone's part. It just hasn't hasn't worked out. Uh, but to answer your question, I would not play him this Thursday. He wouldn't be my first choice. No. Agreed. And one thing I'll I'll give him uh, some kudos for is he seems to be a great mentor to the young Spaniards on the team, the Myrals and the Perez and um, VRs. We see that they seem to have uh, kind of taken to him uh, even prior to the Ajax uh, match. You saw them all joking around prior to the match, and it was kind of fun to see. So a video mm-hmm. where um, I didn't catch exactly what they said, but it was kind of like they were joking with him, like, oh, this this giant stadium is nothing for you, right? Like you're world champion. You're this. So I think that's good. Um, he's brought that aspect in the dressing room, which I think is important for those younger players to get that uh, European experience. They certainly do talk him up. And I've seen uh, sometimes on the bench, he's, he's shown the right reactions at the right time when Rumble have gone down. Like he, he looks like a guy who um, is very aware of the result and how that, how Rumble could put themselves across better to, to have that result in hand so I could imagine after those games those tough games really telling the younger players look like you've got to believe in yourself more and that that's always good to have if that's, yeah. what, if that's the case yeah so that was our last listener question so we'll leave it there uh like we mentioned another big week for Roma coming up Ajax uh, just a couple days away on Thursday hopefully when Sean and I return for the next episode we'll be talking about a Roma victory or at least a victory in the the tie overall to advance the semifinals of the Europa League uh, you know, and then, and then another Sunday match coming up against a relegation fighting Torino. So it won't be easy there, even though Torino has been great this year. You know, you're talking about a team that is fighting for their lives. So they'll be fighting Roma tooth and nail, I'm sure. So a uh, big week ahead for Roma, you know, keep an eye out for all of our regular match day pieces um, coming out and, you know, just get, get your listener questions in for the next match. If you have something you want to ask Sean and I, because we're more than happy to answer them. So Sean, any closing thoughts you want to leave our listeners with? Like you said, I just hope next time we're talking about the Europa semifinals. That's my my one wish. Yeah, agreed. So we'll leave it there. That's, that's, I think, all of our wishes. So we'll talk to everybody soon.